You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. Well, hey, I hope uh, every single one of you had a really great Thanksgiving. Uh, I know everybody has different traditions and different things uh, that that we do. Uh, I would just, you know, confess to you that my wife and I have been married for 13 years now, and every Thanksgiving I'm reminded that my mother-in-law creates the best stuffing in the world. It's fantastic. Now, some of you might argue that your stuffing's better, and I would allow for you to submit me a sample to try, uh, but you'll probably lose. Uh, But more more exciting than Thanksgiving, one of the things that, that I really love is Christmas time. Uh, The Christmas season is one of my favorite seasons of the year, and it's for a few reasons. Uh, The the first reason is uh, my birthday is in December, so usually that means double gifts. Like you, now some people get a little stingy and do the two for one deal. So anybody else have a December birthday? You've experienced that. They're like, this is your birthday and your Christmas gift, and you're like, hey, you know what? People in June. Don't put up with that. You know, that doesn't work. But us Christmas, birthday season, sometimes we get that. But usually it means uh, two gifts in a short, ser- uh, short span of time. Uh, I get really excited for Christmas stuff. Like, we just went out and got a real Christmas tree. Anybody do a real Christmas tree? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, I'm with you. First time, first time. We've never done a real Christmas tree before, but we're doing the one this year. Pray for us. We hope it goes well. But I'm like, I'm into it. I'm into the lights. I'm into the music. I'm I'm into all the uh, traditions. I also really like getting gifts. Like, I just, that's one of my love languages. Like, I really enjoy getting gifts. And so Christmas is, is one of those seasons. And not only do I like getting gifts, I actually really like giving gifts. Like, that, like there's, everybody has kind of a love language, and, and mine is gift giving. Like, I, I, really, I really get moved by receiving gifts, and I like giving people gifts. And I'll never forget, uh, my wife and I, the very first Christmas, uh, we were together as a husband and a wife. I was like, this has to be special. Like, this is our first Christmas together. This has to be memorable. I've got to go all out. Like, I got to, I got to, she said yes to marrying me, and I have to keep her saying yes to marry me. So I went all out for our first Christmas. And what I mean by going all out is I literally drained the bank account. Uh, most of the checking and most of the savings account. But that's like my love language. I was just like, when she comes down on Christmas and sees all the gifts under the tree and it's just her and me and she realizes that most of them are for her, she's just going to be so moved and so in love with me. That's not what happened, though. About halfway through the gifts, I remember my wife looking at me and saying, how much did this cost? And I was like, a little bit, a little bit. And she was like, I really hope that you didn't drain the bank account on all this. And I was like, maybe, maybe. But we get paid again next month. Like, we'll be okay. It'll be all right. And I'll never forget my wife said to me, you know, I would rather have money in the bank than all the, the Christmas gifts under the tree. And I was like, well, you're nuts. Because I'd rather have the gifts under the tree, which then led to a conversation where guidelines, very specific guidelines, have been laid out for me that I have now followed every year around Christmas time because I'm the drain the bank kind of guy when it comes to Christmas. And I also realize that's not everybody's love language. Now, the reason I share that with you is because 
uh, as much as I love this time of year, there's a little bit of tension and a little bit of conflict that, that comes with this time of year. And I think if we were honest with ourselves, I think if we interviewed people, I think what a lot of people would say is, hey, this, this season gets a little bit of stressful because uh, there's family that we have to see that we don't normally see, and there's maybe some drama with that. But I think the other reason, the other reason that it's stressful is because it comes down to finances, in fact, of all the studies and all the surveys and everything that's been done, personal finances are always one of the number one major stressors that people talk about in their life. That When people talk about the state of America, what's going on, one of the things they talk about is most Americans are really stressed out about money and personal finances. In fact, a lot of studies say that couples who get divorced – when they asked, when are asked the question, what were some of the factors that led uh, to your marriage falling apart? The one of the number one reasons that's brought up time and time and time again is finances. That within the marriage, there was so much stress and so much friction and so much conflict around finances that it actually hurt the marriage. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about finances. We're going to talk about money today, and I know that's no one's favorite topic to talk about. And just to be totally transparent with you, as a teacher and as a pastor, it's one of my least favorite topics to talk about. But there's two reasons we, we've got to talk about this. There's two reasons that we have to talk about personal finances. And the first one is this. It's because our money is always connected to our heart. Our money is always connected to our heart. The way we view our money, the way we think about the money, we, the way we spend our money is directly connected to our heart, which is why we can talk about some topics and some issues on Sunday morning, and it doesn't raise your anxiety. It doesn't raise your blood pressure. But the minute we say we're going to talk about finances, we all get a little bit squirrely there's a little bit of conflict in us, and, and we, we know this might probably be a little painful, or maybe you've already put up the wall and say, I'm probably going to disagree with everything you're going to talk about them this morning. And the reason we do that is because our heart and our money are directly connected. In fact, one of the things I hear all the time from people is to say, the reason that we don't go to church or the reason we have an issue with the church is because we just feel like the church is after our money. See, people will say that, and it used to kind of throw me off. It used to get me a little bit nervous. I used to feel like I had to defend that statement. But what I realized over time is that when people say, hey, the church is just after my money, that's more of an indictment of their heart than it is an indictment of the church. Because you know what? Like, I've never had the conversation with somebody where they're like, you know what? That Amazon, like Amazon Prime, you know what they're after? My money. Like, I've never had the conversation with somebody. It's like, you know what? Target, Walmart, Starbucks, Alta, Farm and Fleet, they're just after my money. But they are. I mean, those organizations exist for one reason, to get you to spend money at their places. And see, the reason that we're never upset about that is because we tend not to get upset about the places that we worship. We tend not to complain about the things that are really close to our heart. And see, one of the reasons we have to talk about money is because our money and our hearts are so directly connected that this matters. 
the other reason we have to talk about this is we, we've been in this series called Stranger Things. And we've been talking about fighting against the upside down in our lives. And so we've talked about what happens when we get upside down with our time. What, what happens when we get upside down in our relationships? What happens when we get upside down in our marriages? And when it comes to finances, our personal finances are one of those areas where it is so easy for us to get upside down, but it is so hard for us to get out of the upside down. Like, we live in a time when it is so easy to get into debt. Like, we've made it so easy for people to buy things that they can't afford. We just call it credit. And, and like, there are companies that all they want to do is give you credit so you can buy things that you can't afford. So now you owe them money, and it'll take you a really, really long time to pay them back. It's so easy to get into debt. Facebook reminded me, because uh, I forgot, that three years ago this week, we bought our house, which was a huge a moment for us. We knew God had called us to, to come to Belvedere to start a brand new church startup. We were really excited about that. And our, our, my, my in-laws were so gracious. They let us live with them uh, for a while. And so we, we also knew we needed to find a place. But like we were living like missionaries. We were raising support to, to plant a church that didn't exist yet. And so uh, we were raising money constantly and living off that support. And so my wife had found a house online that was in foreclosure and we thought we could afford it. And I'll never forget when we applied for that mortgage because we had bought and sold homes before. And so we went back to the mortgage company that we'd used before. And I was convinced that there was no way they would give us a mortgage because like, we're just living off of what people were, were donating to us. We were living off of monthly support that was coming from all over the place uh, to keep us funded. And, and we applied for a mortgage. And I thought there's no way they're ever going to say yes. And I'll never forget, I got a text from our mortgage rep, and she was like, hey, great news, you've been approved, open your email, all the details are inside. And so I was like pumped, because like, hey, we might actually be able to buy this house, it's in foreclosure, it was super cheap, like the mortgage would be cheaper than paying rent somewhere, and we had dogs, so that just seemed like wise to us, and so we were like, okay, Felix, out. and I'll never forget, I opened the email and the mortgage company said, you have been approved for a mortgage up to $300,000. And so I called the rep back and said, you sent the wrong email to the wrong person. And she said, no, 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 they, they, because you have a good track record, because you've been with the company for years, because you've bought and sold houses and stayed with us, they're willing to give you a mortgage of $300,000. Now, here's the thing. I've always wanted to have a small farm. Like, that's like a major goal for me, and I'm thinking, we could do it. Like, we could go get the small farm. They will give me $300,000 to buy the small farm. You know what the problem would be? I could live there for 30 days until the first mortgage payment became due because there was no way I could. I couldn't make the first payment on that mortgage, and yet my mortgage company was willing to help me get into so much debt that it would bury me, and they were happy to do it. See, it's so simple for us to get into debt, and when we get upside down in our finances, it's really hard to get out. And while we put our favorite snapshots on Instagram and Facebook, like when we make everything look good, listen, I've never heard the testimony from someone who is in debt 
who goes, listen, I've extended myself. I can barely afford the monthly payments. I'm living payment to payment, check to check. I've never heard anybody say, and it's awesome. In fact, I would highly recommend you do it as well. And yet it's so easy to get upside down. Hey, so here's my, here's my goal today. All I want to do is encourage you. All I want to do is speak some life and some hope over you. And what I want to do is open up our Bibles and hear the words of Jesus. Because one of the things that's really interesting about Jesus is Jesus talks more about money than any other topic. And I think the reason that Jesus speaks so much about money is because he knows it's an area that, that we get caught up in. It's something that we can get upside down and It's something that's so close to our heart, and yet it's so easy to get upside down. So I just want to look at the words of Jesus this morning and hope it encourages us. I, I hope that it gives us some hope. I, I hope it provides us with maybe some resources and some truth and some hope that we can get out of the upside down and maybe look at finances the right way in our lives. And in Luke chapter 12, uh, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And this conversation is kind of an extension of other conversations. Jesus has been healing people. He's rebuked religious people. Uh, someone who was mute, uh, Jesus has healed, and this person is speaking. And Jesus then uh, begins to have some really important conversations with his disciples. And what he begins to talk to them about is anxiety. That's the context. He's beginning to talk to them about being uh, just caught up and being anxious and being worried. And what he talks about is that, that well, the reason we get anxious and so worried is because we're, we're constantly trying to keep up with the Joneses. We constantly see what other people have, and we think, I have to have that or better. And what we realize is, is when we're trying to keep up with the Joneses, well, the, the Joneses are just trying to keep up with a different pair of the Joneses, and what we end up is in a rat race. And Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 29. He says, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. He says, For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. And so Jesus goes, Hey, there, there's this way. And he's like, it's really popular. In fact, the way he labels it is he says, the nations of the world do this. They're worried about what will I eat and what will I wear and what, what do I have? What kind of resources will I have? How will I get mine and what kind of belongings will I have? And then in verse 31, Jesus uses this word. He says, instead. So instead of keeping up with the Joneses, Instead of being so worried and consumed about how much and where it'll come from and what it'll look like, he says instead, seek his kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom of his father. See, Jesus could say it this way. He says, seek the kingdom of God, and these things will be added to you. So you see, what Jesus begins to, to reveal to us is that in every single one of our lives, we will either chase after the creator God, or we'll chase after created things. And so Jesus goes, listen, instead of pursuing all the created things, instead of going after all the stuff, why don't you spend your time and your energy, <coughs> why don't you take your pursuit, and why don't you pursue the God that's created you? 
And he says, in the pursuit of God, in the relationship of knowing your heavenly father, in, in the pursuit of seeking his kingdom, you know what will happen? All the other stuff will just be added to you. Like, like you don't have to spend a lot of time going after this stuff. Because your heavenly father loves you so much and he knows exactly what you need. That as you pursue him and as you grow in your relationship with him, he'll just add to you the stuff that you're already worried about. And then Jesus takes it to the next level. In Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 32, he says, Fear not, little flock. Because what Jesus begins to realize is that when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our resources, when it comes to our stuff, what will we wear, where will we live, how many resources will we have, what will we be able to afford, that it worries us. Like Jesus knows what keeps you up at night, and he cares about it. So he goes, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. I think Luke chapter 12, verse 32, may be one of the most complex sentences in the New Testament. Because what what Jesus does is he gives us so much truth that we can read by it, that we can go through it so fast that we miss out on it. So I just want to kind of look at this in the context of of personal finances because here's here's what Jesus says. The first thing Jesus tells us about our, our finances, our resources, our stuff, is he says, fear not. Fear not. Like, stop worrying about it. Stop being so afraid. Maybe you're in the room and you go, but like, Jesus, if you, if, you, if you knew how much debt, like if you knew how many student loans, if you knew how much I owned on the house and the car, if you knew about what my company just did with the cutbacks, or like, hey, it's the holiday season and I have a lot of family and they all expect gifts. Like, Jesus, there's things to be worried about. And Jesus responds to you and he responds to me. He goes, I know there's things to worry about, but you don't have to worry about them because you have a heavenly father who loves you. In fact, what Jesus begins to tell us is that our feeling about money is directly connected to our understanding of who God is and who he's like. Don't miss this. More than the economy, more than the Dow Jones, more than what you owe on the credit card, your feeling and my feeling about money is directly connected to our understanding about who God is and what he is like. And so when it comes to you and when it comes to me, if there's anxiety, if there's fear, if there's worry and nervousness about finances, what Jesus says is that comes down to it corresponds to who we think God is and what he thinks he's like. And then what Jesus does is he changes the narrative. Just says, hey, I don't want you to focus on your finances. I don't want you to focus on the economy. I don't want you to focus on the current rate of gold or how much the dollar's worth. He says, I want you to focus on your heavenly father. And then Jesus gives us five relational statements about who God is in the context of finances. 
In the context of, hey, don't worry about where you go, what you eat, where you live, what kind of clothes you wear. He goes, listen, I want you to focus more on who God is. And he gives us these five statements, and they're all in verse 32. So here we go. The first thing he says that God is, he says that God is a shepherd. So he says, fear not, little flock. You go, well, why in the world would Jesus talk that way? Why would he call us a little flock? Because a flock always has a shepherd. So this is going back to this idea that that God is like a shepherd, that we are his sheep, we are his flock, and he is the shepherd. He cares for us. This is what David talks about in Psalm chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me. Now, if you grew up with the New King James Version, it's he maketh me. But he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, when Jesus begins to say, hey, don't forget that your heavenly father is like a shepherd. He's like, well, think about what a shepherd does. A shepherd guides. A shepherd cares for. A shepherd gives provision and protection. So don't forget that your heavenly father is like a shepherd. He cares for you. He provides for you. He will lead you and care for you, just like a shepherd does for the flock. He says, not only is God like a shepherd, but don't forget that God is like a father. He says, fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure. But what Jesus is trying to do is give us kind of a new understanding of who God is. And he goes, hey, on one hand, he's like a shepherd, but on the other hand, he's personal and intimate like a father. That every single one of us have a heavenly father who is greater than our earthly father, even if you had a wonderful father. That our heavenly father is a perfect father who cares for you who knows what you need, who works to provide for you, who helps shape you and discipline you, who always wants what's best for you. Like Jesus tells us that God always gives us his best. He says, listen, I know some of you are suspicious. I know some of you have experience. He's even said, listen, some of you think that that God's kind of like the God that you'd ask him for a fish and he'd give you a snake instead. He said, but he's not like that. He says, if you're earthly father knows how to give you good gifts, then how much more would your heavenly father know how to give you good gifts? He's your father. And see, one of the things you know as a parent is that there's an incredible difference between what your children need and what your children want. See, like, if my children got what they wanted, they would stay up till midnight every night eating ice cream, watching whatever they wanted to watch on the TV. But it wouldn't go good for them. You see, good parents don't always give their kids what they want, but they always work towards giving their kids what they really, really need. This is why you make your kids go to school. This is why you make your kids visit the dentist. This is why you make your kids eat things like vegetables. Because you want what's good for them. And Jesus reminds us that God is a heavenly father who provides us with what we need. 
that he loves us tenderly. And yet he has authority over us. That like a, a father and a child, that, that he has authority, but he uses his authority and his power for provision, for providing, for guidance, for discipline, for providing us with what we need. So he says, your God is like a shepherd. He said, your God is like a father. And then he reminds us, he says, and by the way, your God is like a king. He says, for fear not, little flock, for your father's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom. Well, only one person can give you access to the kingdom, and that's the king of the kingdom. Now, this is foreign to us because we don't have a king. We have a president that we elect. But in Jesus' time, there were kings, and kings oversaw the kingdom. The kingdom represented the rule and the authority and the provision of the king. And kings sat in a throne where they were ruling and reigning and had all authority and all power. And see, when Jesus says that you have a God who wants to give you the kingdom, he says, don't forget that he's the king of the kingdom. That's why he can give you the kingdom. See, I can't give you the kingdom of England because I have no authority there. Only the queen could give you access into the kingdom. Only she has the keys to Buckingham Palace. I don't. Jesus, don't forget that your heavenly father is like a king. He oversees the kingdom. He has power. He has sovereignty. That a king can protect and go to war. That the king oversees the wealth. A king is always to be obeyed. Just don't forget that your God is like a shepherd. That he's like a father and he's like a king. And then he gives us some more descriptions. And he says, don't forget that your God is a generous God. We're still in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus doesn't say that he's renting you the kingdom, he's not leasing you the kingdom, he's not selling you the kingdom. If you go on a tour, then you can have a free weekend in the kingdom. It's not a timeshare. He is giving us the kingdom that God is generous, that we don't earn the kingdom of God, we don't store up credits for the kingdom of God, that God is a generous giver who gives us freely the benefit of his kingdom. And I love what he says next because I think we forget this about God all the time. And I think it's so perfect that Jesus reminds us. He says, hey, he's a shepherd, he's a father, he's a king, and he's generous. And you know what else he is? He's happy. Like, when was the last time you thought about God as a happy God? Like, sometimes when we think about God, we think about uh, this guy in a throne that we've never really seen. He probably has white hair and a beard, and, like, he wants to throw a lightning bolt at you, and he's just waiting to get you. That's not a biblical definition of God. And Jesus uses the word happy. Look at this. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure. He's like, do you know that it delights him to do this? Do you know that it brings God joy to have a relationship with you where he can invite you into the kingdom, where he can provide for you, where he can care for you, where he can give to you, where you find your satisfaction in him and him alone? It pleases him. It makes him happy. It's his good pleasure. 
So what Jesus does is he begins to, to build a theology for us where he says, well, I, I don't want you to focus on your finances. I want you to, fo- I want you to focus on your Father. And so that you can know that God is a happy, generous shepherd, father, king. And Jesus says when you begin to realize that God is a happy, generous shepherd, father, and king in him, because of him and that relationship with him, I no longer have to be afraid. That we can preach that to ourselves. That sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that. That I don't have to be afraid because God is like a shepherd who cares and guides. He's like a father who knows and wants what's best. He's like a king that has all authority and all power and he's generous. You can't outgive God. And you know what? He's not this grumbly, angry God that God is actually happy to do these things. That it brings him good pleasure. And see, Jesus begins to tell us about God and then He says, in light of this, because of this, I want you to think about finances. I want you to think about money. I want you to think about possessions and stuff differently than people who don't know God. He says, this isn't a to-do list. This isn't don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't date girls that do. This isn't a religious checklist. He's like, because you know who God is, because you have a relationship with him, you can do things differently. And see, what I think Jesus says next is this, is he says that trusting God and having a relationship with him carries a strong impulse towards simplicity. That the goal of someone who has a relationship to God isn't just to gain and accumulate all kinds of stuff. That actually following God would actually lead us to simplicity. So what Jesus says next is this, Luke chapter 12, verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Now we have to kind of break this down because Jesus is talking to his disciples. Jesus is talking to those who follow him. And here's what we know. They're not wealthy. In fact, the reason I think that Jesus says sell your possessions is because they didn't have any money. And so what Jesus says is, hey, I want you to move towards simplicity. I don't think Jesus is saying that it's wrong to own stuff. I don't even think Jesus is saying that it's wrong to have money in the bank. I don't think that's what he's saying. What he's saying is this. Keep it simple. Always move towards simplicity rather than getting more and more and better and more and better and more. And here's why I think that. Because when Jesus speaks to his disciples, he says, hey, sell your possessions. And so the question would be, is how much? Like how many possessions should I sell? And what's the dollar amount that I should give? And you know that scripture never actually gives a big blanket statement that applies to everyone in this area. In Luke chapter 18, verse 22, a young man who has a lot of money approaches Jesus 
And he tells Jesus that he wants to follow him and that he's kept the law and he's been perfect and he always went to Sunday school and he listened to his mama and he's never been in trouble. And Jesus said to him, one thing you still lack is sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. He says, now come and follow me. Luke chapter 19, verse 8, he says, And as Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37, it says, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barabbas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levi, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. There's no blanket statement. There's no like, hey, one size fits all. What Jesus wanted is for his people to be free. And the reality is, is what we usually own usually actually owns us. That we think we possess our stuff, but usually our stuff possesses us. And what Jesus is inviting us to is, is simplifying, getting away from accumulating more and more and more. And see, the reason this is so important is because we live in a culture and a time that it says you will not be happy until you get more or the next best thing. Like, isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting, like, when it comes to cell phones, they have numbers on the end of them? Like, I'm a big fan of iPhone. Like, I just like Apple. If Apple made a toilet, I would probably look into buying it. That's just where I'm at. But, like, I have, like, the iPhone 6. And that's great. It works fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But then they come out with, like, the iPhone 8, and you're like, but I'm, I'm two behind. And now they have like the iPhone 10, and I'm like, now I'm four behind. Isn't that what our culture tells us? Like if you just get the next best thing, if you just upgrade and upgrade and upgrade, eventually you'll be happy. Like have you noticed how all, have you noticed how all the commercials have already changed because it's Christmas time? And like here's like my wife and I just had this conversation. I have two young boys. They're into Star Wars. I think Lucasfilms is incredibly smart because they put Star Wars out at Christmas for one reason, so they can dominate the Christmas market. And like my kids have already made their Christmas list, but you know what's going to change in like 2 weeks? It's going to all change to Star Wars. Like they're going to want the new guy, the new Kylo Ren, the new lightsaber. They're going to want all of that. And here's what they'll say. Like we'll watch the commercials and my kids will even say to me, "Dad, I need that. I need it. That's awesome. And isn't that true for all of us? That we all have things, if we were honest, and we won't do it. Like, we could all go around the, the room and go, if I could just get that, oh, man, if I, could just, if I could just upgrade, if I could just get the next best, like, oh, then I would be happy. And Jesus knows better. In Luke chapter 18, verse 24, Jesus is having a conversation. And it says that Jesus, seeing that he'd become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And what we do as Americans, we go, oh, I'm not wealthy. This doesn't apply to me. And yet the word that Jesus used is plusios, which means wealth measured by money or the amount of things you already own. And you just know if you looked at the world, like the whole world, 
Like if you have spare change in your pocket or sitting in a jar at home, you are among the world's wealthiest people. And I know it doesn't always feel that way. But come on, most of us have houses attached to our houses for our cars to live in. And some of us have so much stuff in those houses for our cars that we can't even park our cars in the houses that we built them. We were among some of the wealthiest people in the world. And what Jesus says, continuing in Luke chapter 8, he says this. He said, he's talking about the gospel taking root in our hearts, our love for, for Jesus and being saved by him growing. And he says this. He talks about different types of soil and how the seed takes root. And he talks about this last one. He says, and, and as for those that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasure of life, and their fruit does not mature. Come on, church. We know this struggle. That on one hand, we're like, God, I so desperately want you better as one day in your courts. God, I desire you. But God, I also desire a vacation, an upgraded vehicle, a new boat, a new house, the iPad, iPod, iPhone, and the magic number in the bank account. And what happens is when our desire for stuff is greater than our desire for God, what we ultimately say is, God, I find you valuable, but I desire this other stuff so much that I'm willing to compromise you to get to the stuff. See, listen, there's nothing wrong with earning lots of money. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. But according to Jesus, there is something wrong with earning lots of money and keeping it all to yourself, or earning lots of money and buying all kinds of stuff just for yourself, that it's spiritually dangerous for you and for me to put our delight and our satisfaction to treasure up stuff and money and more stuff. And then Jesus gives us this huge revelation. Because I've always been taught, and you've probably always been taught, that you need to go to school to get a good education so that you can get a good job, so you can get, get, so you can get good money. And the reason you need to get good money is because you'll probably want to get married, and families are expensive, and houses are expensive, and you'll want to have nice stuff. And what Jesus says is the, perf the purpose of money is treasure in heaven, not on earth. Look what he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy and provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old. I love what Jesus said here because I think what Jesus is talking about, I think what he's talking about is that it's this, there's this thing that can be so big that we don't even get it because I don't carry a money bag, I carry a wallet. And like some of you ladies carry money bags, but there's more than money in there. And Jesus is like, I want you to think about this. I want this to blow your mind a little bit. He's like, I want you to provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With the treasure that's actually stored up in the heavens that it will not fail. It will not grow old. No moth will destroy it. No thief can ever steal it. There is a huge potential for you and for me to spend the majority of our money on things that will one day end up in the garbage dump. No legacy, no lasting impact, just rot, decay, and nothing. 
Jesus goes, no, no, your finance isn't about getting stuff here. It's about storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. And see, the way that we make money bags, which don't get holes, the way that we make money bags that, that never rot, that never are stolen, that never, uh, that never fail on getting a return, is by spending that money in such a way that it actually stores up treasures in heaven. That Jesus says that there's something about our love for him, our knowledge of him, that relationship with him, where we would actually be people who are so powerfully persuaded by the fact that God is a generous, happy, loving God who is a king, a shepherd, and a father who is generous and is happy, that we would always move towards simplicity. That rather than constantly pursuing more and more and more, and more that we would actually go, hey, I need less and less and less. How can I simplify and serve? How can I simplify and serve? How can I simplify and serve? How can I simplify and build up the kingdom of God? How can I get rid of the clutter and build the kingdom? And then Jesus gives us this huge, powerful statement. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, your heart and your money are connected. My heart and my money are connected. See, one of the ways we could do a spiritual checkup is we could simply ask the question, where do I spend the majority of my money? Because Jesus says where my money goes, my heart follows. And where my heart goes, my money follows. The treasure is the thing that we cherish. Our heart is the organ that does the cherishing. And so if we treasure God, then that's where our heart will be and our money will follow. But if our treasure is more and better, that's where our heart will be and our money will follow. Which means, one of the greatest ways for us to guard our heart is to actually create a budget. Especially this time of year. That one of the greatest ways that I can guard my heart and that you can, create, can guard your heart is by actually creating a budget and sticking to it. Because I've been there before where you get to the end of the month and the question you ask is, where did all my money go? And a budget is where you get to tell your money where it's going to go. And when we make a budget, what we do is we say, you know what? The priorities remain the priorities. The things that are important stay at the top of the list. The things that aren't important stay at the bottom of the list. And listen, I'm going to give you two really great resources this morning. Like the first thing, like I've been through it like at least half a dozen times. Financial Peace University is incredible. Like, we were geared up to offer a community group, Financial Peace University, this year. And, like, we still have all the stuff. We'd still love to do the group. Like, listen, if you go, hey, I need help in this area. I need to help to get out of debt. I need help in creating a budget. I, I need help in this area. Get out your communication card and say, I I'm interested in Financial Peace University, and we'll figure it out. We'd love to offer a community group where we could take you through that resource because it's fun and it's powerful. I want to give you another great resource. I love the name of this company. This is some of our friends down in South Carolina, a guy that I've met before. His name's Joe Sangle. He has more energy than an energy drink. But he has, a free, he has some free resources on his website called I Once Was Broke, But Now I'm Not. Great name. I once was broke, and now I'm not. 
And if you go on his website, he has Excel files that he'll give to you for free that help you create a budget. And I was just on there last night, and one of the things they created was a Christmas spending plan where you could actually put all the people you're planning to buy for. See, this is what I need. Like all the people that you're planning to buy for, how much you're going to spend, and then it shows you how much you will spend. And that can be scary. And then the next column says, how much did you actually spend? Which means you can either come in under budget or over budget, but you'll never know unless you create a budget. Now, here's the thing. Why in the world would we take time to talk about this? Why would we risk it? Why, why would we get into the ucky, mucky stuff about finances? And here's why. Because it matters. Your money matters to you, and it matters to God. And here's what Jesus, I think, wants to say to you this morning. I think this is what he wants to say to me this morning, is that God is my happy, generous shepherd, father, and king. Therefore, I will seek first the kingdom of God, and I will walk in faith, not in fear, trusting that God will provide for my every need. That when it comes to your finances, when it comes to my finances, when it comes to simplicity or accumulating more and more stuff, that Jesus wants us to have the confidence to say, God is my happy, generous shepherd, father, and king. Therefore, in my life, I will seek first the kingdom of God. I will walk in faith, not in fear, trusting that God will provide for my every need. Let me pray for us. Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois, where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.